Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. And we are live. Welcome to another episode of the How We Solve show. Today, I have a very special guest. I'm super excited to interview him. His name is Mark Joyner. He's the founder of over 30 startups, which is crazy. And currently he is the founder and CEO of Simpleology. Mark is often referred to the godfather or the OG or the father of digital marketing for his pioneering roles in the early days of online marketing. And he has invented or started or have been the first one to do a lot of cool things. He started the first ebook publishing company. He did the first online ad tracking company. He did the second PPC search engine while the Google guys were still in college. And he also invented the tracking pixel, which is crazy. And Mark is also the author of over a dozen books in print in 25 languages, four of them which are number one bestsellers and several of them which are used as marketing textbooks in universities around the world. Mark is a former U.S. Army officer and a Cold War veteran of military intelligence, and he has received many awards for his service. And yeah, Mark, it's super cool to have you on, and I'm really looking forward to nerding out with you on online marketing topics. Thank you for having me, man. And nerding out about digital marketing is something I love to do, so. (laughs) I especially want to nerd out on integration marketing. It's a book that you've written and that's I really loved and you know, I've been doing this for over 20 years and in all of my businesses, integration marketing was always like the name of the game. It's the gift that keeps on giving when you do ad spend, you have to recoup the money you spent a hundred dollars to get a customer and you only make $20 a month on, on the customer. So it takes like five months until you have the money back. So it can kind of like drown your company, but with integration marketing, it's just magic. So maybe you can tell the audience how you define integration marketing. Well, I can give a super nerdy technical definition, right? Which is not for nerdy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's okay to start with that. I think what would be really interesting is to tell some of the integration marketing stories as well so that people understand like really what this means. So when I give this nerdy definition, I want people to understand like, okay, like this is all going to kind of go over my head and it's not going to sound exciting yet. Right. So, but once you start hearing some of the examples of what it does, like David very rightly just said. This is the gift that keeps on giving, right? It's something that you can set up and once you set it up, it's continuing to provide benefit for your business. Integration marketing has been evolving over the years since I wrote the book, I guess about 15 years ago now. The concepts have evolved quite a bit even since then. But let me give you the basic definition. So the basic definition is the integration of a unit of marketing value. That's another like a neologism that you know, I came up with to create this meme flex of ideas to help people understand how to get the most benefit out of these ideas, right? So it's the integration of a unit of marketing value into an integration point that exists on a traffic stream or a transaction stream. Now that's the, the really nerdy definition. It's like, okay, so what, why that doesn't what does, sound, what is this? <laughs> what is it? Yeah. What is it? What does it do? Right? So let's talk about some of the integration marketing stories that are really fascinating. I want to sort of plant a seed in people's mind and let you know the why of integration marketing and why it's so important today. 
we can get into that a little bit later. I think that would be very useful to get into because it will make people realize, oh, holy crap, this isn't just a good idea. This is like a life or death thing that I either need to do or die as a company. I'm not being even remotely hyperbolic in this. I, and I will state a very clear case for why. So let me talk about a couple of the integration marketing stories. One of the most fascinating ones is a very subtle application of integration marketing. Now, in the early days of the computer world, there was a company that was coming out with uh, a personal computing platform and they didn't have an operating system. Now, they were approached by the CEO of a company who was going to be able to provide an operating system for them. Now, I'll tell you, you guys will find out who these people are in a moment. I'm, I'm keeping it secret just for a little bit of dramatic effect. When most people tell this story, they say that what's important about this is that the CEO of this company, the software company, didn't actually have the operating system that he was going to give to this personal computing company. And they said, oh man, he went in there and negotiated this deal without even owning the operating system. It's like, okay, fair enough. That is a demonstration of chutzpah. You know, I mean, it shows that the guy had balls. But people, when they tell that story in that context, are really missing the point, right? So what really made that deal powerful was the negotiation points that that CEO stipulated in the deal. So they said, okay, you've got an operating system. We'll include it in our computers that we ship out. And the CEO of the software company said, well, I've got two conditions. The first condition is we need to retain the customer relationship. And so the personal computing company guy representatives said, okay, that's no problem. We all know that all of the money is in the hardware, right? Which we can laugh at now, but back then that's what they all thought. But this CEO, this software CEO is like, no, dude, you're, you're missing point. So he negotiated this so that he could maintain the customer relationship with all of the computer owners so that they were buying the upgrades from here. And the second condition he had was that he reserved the right to do this deal with other companies. Now the company, this computer company was a little company that you may have heard of called IBM, International Business Machines. At the time, they were the biggest computer manufacturer in the world. And their reaction was, fine, you do this with our outfits. We're IBM. It doesn't matter. Who's going to be competition with us? Today, IBM is like the number three manufacturer of PCs. They're not number one anymore in, in personal computing. The software company was Microsoft and the CEO was, of course, Bill Gates. And that negotiation that they had was the single most important seminal moment in one of the greatest fortunes in the history of the world. If Bill Gates had not negotiated those deal points, Microsoft would not have been what they are today. So how is that integration marketing? Well, the unit of marketing value in that case was the operating system, MS-DOS back then, the predecessor to Windows. The integration point was the computer itself. And was it a traffic stream or a transaction stream? It was a transaction stream because IBM was selling these computers to other people. So, so what does this mean? When you understand that the cost of acquiring a new customer, this is sort of a marketing truism. This always obviously varies. It's not a, a perfect benchmark, but it tends to be about 10 times the cost of selling to an existing customer. So what did Bill Gates do? He had a hand to take him on a silver platter 
an endless stream of customers that he never had to spend a dime. The gift that keeps on giving. The gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, you get it, man. You totally get it. I can't overstate to people how profoundly huge this is. One properly structured integration marketing deal can set you up for the rest of it. Right. I can give some examples on, on how I did integration marketing deals in, in, in my businesses. With My last business was MaxCDN, the content delivery network, making websites load faster. And we had an integration marketing deal with W3TotalCache, which is a WordPress caching plugin, which makes websites load faster, just like locally optimize the website. And so we just like added a button in there, in this app, in this plugin that said, add a CDN, add Max CDN. And it was like easy integration, just one click. And then CDN was there. And this was a crazy customer revenue and exposure stream for us. And we set it up once and creating this win-win-win situation because the plugin owner won because we pay him a commission. We won because we get customers. And his customers or his users won because they got what they wanted to do. They made their site even faster. I love it. I, I want to get that clip from you, right? Because like I, I love hearing stories about people using integration marketing. And that's a fabulous example, right? I, 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 can, I can give you a few others. One of, my, one of my current businesses is LTV Plus. We provide customer experience agents, like it's an outsourcing business. So live chat agents, support agents, fail payment recovery agents. And we're working with live chat software, for example. They make more money when they have more seats, basically more, more agents. And their customers often have bad response times in terms of it takes a long time because they have too much volume, whatever. So there's next to the, how long it takes you to respond to a, a chat message, there's a button like add more agents. And then this generates a lead for LTV plus. And then we talk with the customer and, and sell the more agents, you know, kind of customer wins cause his customers are being treated better. The live chat software wins cause we pay them a cut and we win because we, we win the customer. I've been thinking about offering this as a white label service, which kind of violates one of your rules of, you know, retain the customer relationship because then it would not show our brand and they would basically bill the customer and we would then get our cut at the end. It still would be okay, not as good. I think it's totally fine. Like it, that's not a hard and fast rule. That's just what Bill Gates did in that case. If you are white labeling that and there's still the integration marketing plays in action, you're still getting the benefit. Like, I mean, all I care about is profit, right? Well, I care about many other things besides profit, but I mean, in terms of from that lens, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too rigid about any particular rule. Like all of these things are lenses to help you see different ways to structure deals in your business to make your business successful. For me, if somebody takes a lens that I give them and they adjust it a little bit so that it can fit more, I'm like, fine. Like, I'm just glad I, I pushed the ball part of the way there, right? I can give you another story since you like stories about integration marketing. Another business of mine where we kind of reverse it. So task drive, we do lead research and we have SDRs like sales development reps for cold outbound. And often people, we research the leads for them and they're really good. They're really targeted and specific, but they don't know how to do proper outbound. They, they heard somewhere, oh, I have to do outbound, but they don't know how to write the proper emails. And then they do it by themselves and they come back to us and say like, hey, you leads are shit that didn't work, but they're not. It's because they have a success gap of they don't know how to really do it. And so we, we're pitching everybody who buys from us. We introduced to a coach called Charles Godet from Predictable Revenue, Predictable Profits. He teaches people how to do proper outbound. And so we kind of like, we win in, the, actually, we don't even take, take a cut from him, but 
we win because we retain customers longer because we set customers up for success or because we close this customer success gap because then they know how to properly utilize our stuff, which is, it's more integration marketing on his end because he gets the customers from it. But I thought somewhat related, right? Well, you know, here's an interesting thing. One of the uh, ideas that we recently added into integration marketing, and this is just in the last couple of years. So this wasn't in the original book. So there are, are what I now call the four integration marketing cash cow opportunities, right? And the, the cash cows are basically, you know, four different ways that we can benefit from this. Now there's the traditional way that most people think about, which is mainly what we're talking about, right? Which is what I call the UMBO. That's opportunity number four. And that's like, okay, you've got a product or a service or an ad or something that you want to integrate into somebody else's traffic or transaction stream. That's an opportunity for you, right? Now, the other three opportunities are really fascinating, right? So there's the opportunity Excuse for- me, what does UMB stand for? Unit of marketing value. And again, that was just an integration marketing neologism to be able to fit all of these different tools together into a framework that will allow people to duplicate it, right? But units of marketing value could be anything, right? Again, it could be a product, a service, a sales message. I mean, it could be many, many things. As long as it has some value pushing the, the marketing ball forward in one way or another, right? So the, the third is the traffic stream owner. So if it's somebody who owns a source of traffic and a traffic stream is just basically anywhere where people are, it's online or off on um, a billboard is a, is a traffic stream with <laughs> some, you know, it's a potential integration point on where you could, you know, put a message there. And one way that people, for example, have sold billboards in the past was, you know, generally they rent out the space, but very clever people would go to somebody that has uh, a traffic stream like that and say, Hey, you know, you can sell your, your ad space, right? But why don't we do it like this? Okay. I'm going to give you the product. I want you to try it and make a recommendation to people. And then you put up the ad and we'll pay you a percentage of the sales that come in. And, and then the, the general you know, way that we approach this is you're potentially going to make a lot more money with this than you would by selling the ads. Because if you've got an endorsement from you and, and there's all that, all of that can make it work far better. Now this works. So, and of course, all of the digital platforms and everybody owns a traffic stream. Now. They don't even realize that they do. They do. If you've got a social media account, you own a traffic stream, right? Now a transaction stream owner, that's the cash cow opportunity. Number two, this is something that most people don't see. Although from some of your stories, it sounds like you guys are onto this. One of the original ways that I was doing integration marketing, the early days of digital marketing, this is before funnels existed, right? So we started experimenting with funnels. We were the first company to do it. And then once we were figuring out like, oh, holy crap, we're like radically improving our dollar per visit by putting all these new offers on. We started taking the same offers and going to everybody else who was doing all of this on their sales pages. They'd sell something, they'd commit the transaction. And the thank you page was basically what we call the Apu problem. This Apu, do you remember the Simpsons? You ever walk into the Quickie Mart? What does Apu always say? It says, thank you, come again, right? That's what everybody was doing on the internet. Only thing it was literally thank you, come again on the thank you page. And I was like, oh my God, when I figured this out, like I literally couldn't sleep that night. The next day we started calling people and saying, hey, we've got this thing called a, an upsell, <laughs> you know, that we're putting on our thank you pages. Why don't we put this on your thank you page and we'll give you a percentage of the transaction. And man, that worked like gangbusters. Think about it. A, a lot of really small-minded and, and short-term thinking people would be like, well, 
Why would I do that? You would do it because if you don't have anything else to sell yourself, there's no reason why you shouldn't be, you know, getting further monetization from those customers. We all think. And, and, and maybe even you find something that closes the customer success gap, like the coaching that we do for the outbound. Like it's even like providing more value and making your customers sticky, et cetera. There's like a million ways on how to do this in a proper way. I love that thinking. That's the next higher level, right? I mean, when you get really strategic about it, you're not just generating revenue, but you're generating more potential business value. Like you're saying, by adding more stick, there's so many ways that you can pair these things together. And another really interesting fact about this is that Amazon makes more money now from products that they don't actually have in their warehouses than they do from the products that they have in their own warehouse. Basically, the transaction stream owner multiplied into this radical level. They've got all of these different relationships with all these other companies. Now, if Amazon was like, well, we're not going to make as much money. We sell other people's products to our customers, right? The funny thing about that thought is, is that well, they're not our customers, but they, they don't, they don't belong to us. They're, they're sovereign human beings. We just happen to have their attention for a short period of time, right? So we want to leverage that attention in the way that's going to generate the most revenue. Now the, the cash cow opportunity number one to close this loop going backwards is the integration marketing deal broker. Like if you go out there and you broker deals between traffic and transaction stream owners and unit of marketing value owners, UMV owners, you can go around and set up these deals all day long. You don't have to own a, a product or a service. You don't have to run a business. You just set up the deal. And if you set it up correctly, you should be making a slice of that over time. I'm in the mastermind called JVMM, Joint Venture Mastermind. It's a, it's a lot of coaches and these coaches just kind of cross promote each other to their audiences and then they get, get a cut from that. Yeah. I mean, if, so if, if that group is getting a cut from all of those deals that are very smart, right? I mean, that's a great way to leverage it. In fact, it's, it's plug and play at that point. You don't even have to set up the deals. You just set up the environment where people can create the deals themselves. And if every time they work together to create a deal, you get a slice, that's pretty ingenious. I would say. I think you would, if you want, I can introduce you to the guy who runs it. I think you, you would enjoy this group of people since you also do some coaching with, with your business, right? I love it. Yeah. When I work with my partnership manager. We always kind of say like, we have the good, better, best of integration. When we approach somebody where we could do an integration, the best scenario is that they, as I mentioned before, like in their software, there's a button where people can add us. The, for us, it's the holy grail of, that's the best basically of integration. If we are, for example, in the onboarding sequence, like when a new user signs up or if a traffic page, or if somebody signs up for the newsletter, that they always get like a, an email informing them about us. So this kind of, hey, you sign up for whatever this SEO service you could use. You want to build some backlinks, you can use shortlist.io, which is one, one of my businesses. This is better. So good is if you just do some co-marketing, which is not the gift that keeps on giving. It's just some exposure or somewhere on the blog, whatever. This is good, but better is being part of the onboarding stream or on the checkout page. And the best is being integrated into their core offering, being there. So I'm curious if you can give, or if there are any other areas where you could sneak these things in, these transaction points. The integration points, right? And so they're, yeah. they're going to exist on a traffic stream or a transaction stream. And that's the, the reason why the terms are so general is because there are so many ways that you can apply these ideas, right? It's like, it's just so fun because once you understand it, it's like you, you put on these goggles where like suddenly, whoa, there's all this money everywhere that you, know, you couldn't see before. I'll, I'll go one even higher than what you said, right? So looking at the Microsoft example again, so they think about this, right? 
IBM was selling the machine with the operating system built on, right? So Microsoft was getting money every time they sold a computer, right? So now they didn't get the customer list from those guys, but they structured everything such that this was a product that had to get upgrades. And if you don't get upgrades to your operating system, you're in serious trouble. You're toast, right? So they have to register that product that they've already purchased with that original company. So the, the ultimate way to do it would be that company actually sells something for you, pays you for that sale, and then they force those customers to register with you, right? And then you've got a situation where, where you set something up where, of course, you don't want to do this in, in some of the more nefarious ways where people plan obsolescence and all that garbage. You want this to be you know, something that genuinely requires ongoing treatment. But if you can set it up so that people you know, are going to need to continue to pay for upgrades, that's the ultimate, right? Because so that now the relationship is already established. So that button is beautiful. Like, I think that's a great example of one of the best ways you could do it. Like, okay, here's boom, like one click add in there. And it's, it's fantastic, right? But if you've already sealed the deal and formulated the relationship, if they, if they hand that to you on a silver platter, that's like best plus plus, right? Anyway, just to get your thinking, you know, going about this, there's so many different ways that we can do it. So what I like to do with folks is I'll talk about this and I'll give a few examples and I'll start asking them, okay, give me some examples of traffic streams. Give me some examples of transaction streams and let's think of ways that we can integrate with other people. And then the other thing that we do is, and I don't know if you've gone this deep into it, but in the, the integration marketing print book, there's something that I have on, this is like, this is the thing that I always push people to get, because if they can get this and if they start playing with it, they're going to have a, a great experience with integration marketing. So there's something I created called the integration marketing point scoring system. And what this allows you to do is evaluate the power of individual integration points and find out like how likely is this integration uh, integration marketing deal to be successful, right? So if you use this point scoring system, you can light up all of these potential integration marketing deals that you want to shoot for. Then you find out which ones have the highest integration marketing score. Boom, go for that one. And basically the, the way that we do this is, is we'll give a value and we multiply these numbers together, right? So if, if there's a traffic stream integration point, and this is, I, I, I think this is going to fit very nicely with your good, better, best stuff. And it's going to give you new intellectual tools to think about how to grade these things. So like if it's an advertising integration and there's no call to action, right? We, we give that a 0 0.01, right? It's very low. Cause I mean, it's just, you're getting maybe some branding value and maybe you'll get some clicks, right? Now, if it's advertising integration with a call to action, then it's 0 0.05. Now, if it's a web page of an interaction outside of a transaction, it's point 0.1. And if it's geographic integration on a traffic stream, we give it a point 0.5. Geographic meaning outside of uh, non-digital, right? Now, in transaction stream integrations, we start out with like a post-sale bundled advertising, right? That's like what you see some of the people, like what you were saying, I think was a better one, where it was like they, they offer it you know, after, after a sale, but it's not actually easily facilitated. Now, if it's a uh, post lead generator um, integration, right? So like if somebody just acquired a lead and then they have an, an integration offer af after that, and it's an offer, not advertising, now it's got a value one. I'll show you as these values keep going up. A post sale integration with a customer data is not 
transmitted. We give that a two. Okay. So that meaning like, Hey, we've actually, you know, sold something along with it. Right. So bundled sale integration, customer data, not transmitted three post sale integration, customer data transmitted four, <laughs> right. And then bundled sale integration, customer data transmitted six. Now that Microsoft didn't even have that. Microsoft had bundled sale integration, customer data not transmitted, but they get like maybe a 0.5, an extra 0.5 on there because they're kind of forcing people to do that, right? Yeah. And then you multiply these numbers and there are things like the target factor, right? So the, the target factor, different target market and no likely crossover. We have that a 0.5. Now notice because it's multiplicative, anything lower than one is actually going to lower the value of everything else, right? Because the bad targeting is obviously going to lower the value of these things. And then all the way up to a, a value of four, which would be same target market, same immediate need fulfilled, right? Now we could probably even tweak this more, like looking at it now and thinking, you know, another way that you could talk about this is like, how fresh is the lead? Like the old direct marketing guys in Postal Mill used to have hotline leads where if somebody just bought something within the last 30 days, like that's the most expensive lead because those people are still hot and bothered about that particular topic, right? Now you take these, these numbers, you multiply them together and then you multiply it by the number of potential touches that you have on those touch points. And that's going to give you your integration marketing score. So it's kind of a cool way of evaluating all of this stuff. And it's not, I, I, I kind of tell people this is a starting point, right? I say, look, this should get you thinking about what's going to make an integration marketing deal valuable. If you can take this and tweak it for your own purposes, like, please do it. Another thing that just came to mind, which is also something that we're doing, which is integration marketing, I guess. Sometimes we pass leads on to companies who do the same thing that we're doing. Maybe they're too small for us or they're not the right fit or whatever. And this is like another way how we can make money off something that otherwise would go to waste. Or with Shortlist, which is my backlink building business, Shortlist.io, we work with lots of agencies. Actually, that's, that's another cool integration marketing thing. So agencies, as an agency, you can't do everything. I don't know if you read Build to Sell, you have to specialize in something. Otherwise, it's like very likely that you, you know, going to have some loss because you have some specialists that are just not fully utilized. Building backlinks is a tough thing. And if you're an agency, you're probably not doing this because it's the whole thing in itself. So we just work with a lot of agencies that white label us. So we build backlinks for them. It's like, works like a charm. It's like a absolute no-brainer to to do that. It's not as automated and this kind of comes with another problem. You have to kind of educate the team on the other side that you exist and what you really do. Do you have any tips on like how to educate if you do an integration marketing play like channel partner style, like how to educate people on the other side in the best form or fashion? Super good question, man, because I'll tell you what. So before I answer that, I'll tell you a funny story about this. So when I first started coming up with these ideas, I remember I was talking with some of my sales staff and I was like, okay, I want you guys to start brokering these deals, you know? And they were like, oh, I don't know. They were really skeptical and they were having a hard time convincing people. And I was like, I said, I tell you what, I'm going to make one phone call. And if I close this deal, you, you have to shut the F up and start doing what I ask you to do, right? <laughs> like if I can close this one deal you need to stop telling me that this is impossible. Now, of course, I call somebody who I knew was going to be more likely, you know, to do it. And I, so the, the original way that we were doing this, we had this company called ROI Bot, the first ad tracking company, right? 
And we started the first ebook company as well. And we started this upsell for the ad tracking company on the thank you page of the, you know, inter- internet marketing books that we were selling. And we're selling other books, but those were, you know, the, 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 the hottest ones. And we got that upsell optimized to a point where like 50% of the people who bought our eBooks were starting our free trial of the ad tracking. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's crazy. Right. And so I started calling these guys up. I called up, you know, some of the other eBook publishers and I knew I said, okay, I said, tell me how many eBooks you're selling per month. Right. Now I know they're going to inflate the numbers. So that was always going to be in my favor. And I had a little, one of those old clicky clack paper tape calculators so that I could be doing the the calculations and they can hear that the spindle of paper go rolling up and I'd like I punch in their numbers and I go, okay, so you, you do this many. And I would say, okay, now we're getting 50% of the people who, yeah, 50% conversion. Let's say conservatively you get 5%. I said, so that means that, you know, at the end of the month, you're going to have this many free trials and you're going to be making this much per month. So at the end of month one, this is how much extra revenue you're going to be having. Now let's multiply that out by the end of the year. And this is what you'll be making, you know, month after month at the end of just this first year, right? Now this was kind of in the early days of, you know, the SAS model as well. We didn't know how long the stick rates were going to be. We didn't know how, how abysmally bad they are and nobody else did either. But I mean, but that conversation yep. was really it's useful. Absolute no brainer. Like who would not do that? Who would not do it? Right. Now, the other thing that I like to tell people, it's like with Amazon, you know, I tell people, Hey, look customers are not yours. You're just in temporary possession of their attention. And if you've shot all of your marketing bullets at these guys, you're being really dumb. If you think, and of course you don't want to tell them you're being dumb because that's probably not the best way to convince them, but you want to kind of point out to them like, Hey, if you already shot all your bullets, wouldn't it be wise to like throw some other messaging at these guys so you can make some more money? And they understand that and they go, Oh, wait a minute. So this isn't giving away my business. This is making my business more profitable in the long term. And in fact, Amazon follows this same model. If you show them that Amazon is actually selling other people's products and services through the Amazon system that they have. When you, yeah, when you, when you go to amazon.com and you look for products, you're not just seeing stuff that they have in their warehouses anymore, right? This is the amazing thing about this. And again, that's the majority of their revenue from the Amazon market. I mean, it's, it, that's, that's where it's all coming from. And when you explain that to people that they, they kind of think, oh man, maybe all of this time, my thinking was, was less sophisticated. If Amazon's doing it and you're right, like I have fired all of my marketing bullets at this point, why wouldn't I integrate that in there? And in fact, let me aggressively work to make this more effective because this is now free money for me. Right. This is also, this is revenue that I don't have to do anything for. I don't have to service any customers for this revenue. It's beautiful. That's the kind of conversation that tends to get people a little bit more involved. Excited about this. Yeah. And I think the only thing you have to consider is not to burn your customers. Again, again, Amazon's like pretty strict with this, with the rating system and blah, you know, to make sure that customers are still happy and that you don't burn any relationships. But yeah, just to be mindful in terms of which partner do you use? Actually, when we reach out to new agencies, we often say, Hey, let us build a few backlinks for you kind of to build that trust. Or also if you can name drop, like we do this, or we have an integration with XYZ, then okay, if, if they do it, then let's roll. So I guess yeah, the trust factor is something to consider. 
It's super important. And I mean, this should go without saying, but I'm glad you bring it up, right? I mean, word of mouth, some people will say is the most powerful force in marketing. I think one could state a, a very compelling case for that hypothesis. And word of mouth is tantamount to the trust that people have of you. And if you burn that trust, it doesn't take, you know, many times to burn that trust for them to go away forever. You know, in fact, there are people you could treat them really well for 10 years and you burn them one time, could be gone. I take on that very seriously. Actually, you have tomorrow I'm interviewing Fred Reichelt, the guy who came up with NPS and that promoter score. I think it's from his book. Uh, a happy customer tells his friends and unhappy customer tells the world. With Yelp and like all these platforms these days, it's fairly easy to tell the world if your product or service. I mean, this is one of the reasons why the old Six Sigma conversation is so powerful, right? Just to kind of bring that up for people who aren't familiar with that. I mean, the idea is basically like, you want to get your fault tolerance down to a point where you can go out to six standard deviations from the mean, right? That's six sigma away from the mean. And, and so, so why is that important? So if you get what school would consider to be an A grade, like 90% in your manufacturer, that's a total fail at, at scale in business, right? Because if you're putting out 10% defects in your manufacturing and you're, and you're cranking out 10,000 units a day, you got a thousand pissed off customers out there in the world every day, right? So you want to, you know, tip the, the scales in your favor so that you're, you're not getting that negative press, you're getting far more positive press. And on that note, I'll just tell people, Simpleology, 90% of the people in Simpleology, we have over a million users, right? 90% of them have come in through either integration marketing or word of mouth, right? These two things go hand in hand very, very well. And if you treat those relationships well, those things happen for you naturally. I mean, there's a lot of other things that you can do to facilitate word of mouth. And there's different types of word of mouth that are more valuable than others, of course. But the most valuable is the organic one where people are like, man, like these guys are professional. They're legit. They treat me well. They haven't given me any bad recommendations. If there's ever a problem, they take care of it quickly. Like they start to love you, right? You want to get that Zappos level of, of happiness with people. Yes. Delivering happiness. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's not the topic of the conversation, but it's kind of fitting since we started talking about this. I love swag. I love sending people swag because it's a human instinct to tell people about something that's good. People love to give recommendations. If I can tell you, hey, like Stone Age times, eat these berries, they're good. Don't eat these, they make you sick. I raise in the, the social hierarchy in your eyes. So people are hardwired to do this. And they would love to recommend you Prague if it's good, but they will not talk about out of the blue. But if you were like some like the Livestrong Foundation had these yellow wristbands. So people ask, why do you wear this? And then they can tell the story. So if you can give people these trigger points by giving them a t-shirt or giving them whatever. In my, one of our first businesses was an e-commerce store. We were selling Pukas, the Arabic water pipes. With every order, we gave away a branded lighter, like really high quality lighter. And then people, when you smoke hookah, you need a lighter. Then the lighter was on the table and other people asked, okay, what's the lighter? Then they have the opportunity to talk about our business. And this worked like a charm. Beautiful integration marketing, right? I mean, that humans are traffic streams. The unit of marketing value is the swag itself. And depending upon how compellingly you design that swag, if it's something that people won't really take notice of, it's going to be less effective. But if it's really like conversation start, then it can be. It has to stand out. Yeah. Good book, Giftology, on this topic. You know, if you buy something, always buy the highest quality of, of anything. So for example, if, if I, send you a really high quality iPhone case, which is like a hundred dollars or whatever. Yeah. 
you're kind of more likely going to use that worse if I send you a $500 watch, even though the watch is more expensive, but you probably have yeah, I know, more expensive watch. So this would go into a drawer or right. like whatever, you know, so kind of like it's good always high quality. And then ideally something that is a weird color or like something that kind of triggers the conversation, you know, hey, what's this? Why do you wear that? To get things flowing. Interesting. I never thought about that swag actually is an integration marketing thing as well to some degree. Yeah. That's the really cool thing about the model, right? Is that it can, that thinking can apply to so many things. And then when you start applying the point scoring system, and there's a lot more to the point scoring system that we didn't get into. There's some other modifiers and things. But when you start getting deep into it, then it starts really expanding your thinking. Cause I mean, you could take that point scoring system and apply it to how you're structuring your swag. That's going to give you some insights and in how to optimize. Really interesting one that we do. So in Symbology, we have this thing called the dream catcher, right? And you can put things in on your phone through the Symbology app, or you can go to the web app and just input it there. Or you can set up Siri so that you can say, Siri, email to Dreamcatcher, right? And so Dreamcatcher at Symbology.com, you have to establish the relationship between your email, you know, Siri, message to Dreamcatcher, right? And then what would you like the subject to be, right? And then you put that in. People are do this in front of other people. And people are like, well, what's the Dreamcatcher? It's beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, right? Yeah, and and man, when people use Simplology all the time, they're adding stuff to their Dreamcatcher all the time. And I work hard to get them to use the voice version because it's great. It's, it's sort of ethereal swag. In a way. <laughs> it's really cool, actually. I really like it. I just got to think about how to implement this similar thing in, in, in my businesses. This is the reaction I like to see people have is when they're pausing and thinking, like, ooh, man, I've got some ideas. You talk a lot about how to build a lifeboat business. What is a lifeboat business? Why do you need one? Could you give us some context around this? Yeah. So this is a kind of a heavy topic and I'll, I'll try not to get, because I know this has been all kind of light and everything. We are entering very strange times. And my latest book is about futurism and about the fundamental ways that the world is changing before our eyes for which we need to prepare. And to put it really, really simple. What's the title? What's the title of the book? The book is called Your Roadmap to Money in the 2020s. And the, it's your roadmap to money.com is the, the URL. So the book gets into great technological detail of everything that's going on. It talks about some of the really interesting things that are happening in the world that most people are not aware of, right? So basically the idea is this, everything is improving exponentially. And the, the amount of information that we have is also improving exponentially. In 2005, Eric Schmidt famously said that every couple of days we were adding five exabytes of data into the stream. How much is five exabytes? If you were to take all of the recorded information from the dawn of human history to the end of 2003, that was five exabytes. <laughs> By 2005, we were adding five exabytes in every two days. Now, the rate at which we're adding information is improving exponentially, right? So if this were a linear curve, it would be like, okay, every day we're adding five exabytes. That's a lot. It's a lot, but no. The amount that we're adding in every day is improving exponentially. So there's this thing that I call the complexity gap, right? If human brains can only manage about plus seven bits of data, plus or minus two in conscious working memory. And now the amount of information available in the world is going up like this, this gap in between how much information there is and how much data you could process intellectually is increasing called the complexity gap, right? Now. The complexity gap is one of the phenomena that are occurring. The other one is that technology is exploding, improving 
may not think of them as improvements, depending on what lens we look at these through, but the power of technology is increasing exponentially as well. So one of the, the famous observations made by Toffler in the seventies was that the period of time in between paradigm shifts has been having itself throughout history. And we're at a point now where there is a paradigm shift occurring basically every day in one field or another. Now people would say, really? Like a paradigm shift? I mean, when I think of a paradigm shift, I think of like agriculture, no agriculture, no civilization, right? We would have been hunter gatherers without agriculture. And if you look at the, the Latin root of the word civilization comes from key city, right? Cities would not have existed without agriculture. The, the world would be very different. And so you're thinking, really, is that true? Are we experiencing a paradigm shift every day? And I like to give examples to people. I'll ask people if they've ever heard of graphene. Now you probably know about graphene, I imagine. Like, have you heard of that? No. Okay. I may have heard. Okay. So this is awesome, right? So David, you're a super intelligent guy who's done a bunch of startups, extremely successful. We're in an era now where paradigm shifting technology can come out and even super switched on technologists like you, there's a whole world of stuff out there that we're not even aware of. So here's the thing about graphene. Okay. So graphene, there's a bit of a punchline that I'm working up to that we'll go on a quick tangent about graphene. So graphene is this substance where you take carbon and you whittle it down to a single atomic layer of carbon. Now, when you get it down to a single atomic layer, the behavioral properties of this compound are totally different from carbon. It's 100 times the tensile strength of steel. It's one-tenth the weight. It has the potential to be a room temperature superconductor of electricity. There's like crazy stuff that you can do with this. So ever since it was discovered, that's, it's been about 20 years now, there's been a patent war raging and graphene is starting to filter out into consumer electronics now. So here's what's crazy though. Okay. So graphene is one, only one example of the larger phenomenon. And the larger phenomenon is the nanomaterial revolution. And to help people understand like how ridiculously crazy the nanomaterial revolution is. What we've discovered is that you remember the periodic table, right? And this is supposed to describe all of the different elements of chemistry. And it's like, okay, we've got it all figured out. Well, the nanomaterial revolution informs us that behind the periodic table, peel it back and there's another one and another one and another one and another one. And we don't, we're barely scratching the surface of this because now we've discovered that when we have multiple atomic layers, we're starting to see different behavioral properties and we have different compounds, different composites. They have different behavioral properties. So the world of materials and the potential behavioral properties of these materials is way more vast than we ever could have thought. Now that's one hell of a paradigm shift. And the fact that most of the super intelligent people that I know don't even know that this graphene thing is going on and they don't know about the larger nanomaterial revolution. It's like, holy shit, this complexity gap. This is a serious thing. I mean, there's so much going on and there's so much information. So to make all of this really simple, it's what I call the big five phenomena. Okay. Everything is getting faster, smaller, more powerful, more available and cheaper, right? We have 3D printed automatic weapons now. Now I made a joke about this in the, the roadmap. I said, yeah, Congress is probably going to say, oh, we'll make it illegal. A couple of weeks ago, some people in the United States Congress tried to make, you know, 3D printed automatic weapons illegal. Yeah. I, yeah. Good luck with that, man. Like that worked with the piracy of digital downloads, right? I mean, it's, it's just an absurd 
approach this. So how many clock cycles do we have to go before we have three printable weapons of mass destruction? And I don't want to, to linger on that too long because that's a, it's a very terrifying thought when you think about it. But what I'm trying to explain to people is, is we're in a world now where a paradigm shift can occur overnight and can render your marketing model obsolete, can render your business model obsolete. You need to have what I call the three essential hedges, right? And the lifeboat business is one of the three essential hedges. And a lifeboat business is basically a business that is set up so that it's very pivotable, right? And the way to make a business pivotable is to focus on two essential things and that's systems and culture. And to give you an example of, of how that works, a lot of people don't know that YouTube was originally a dating site, right? It was a great idea. Oh yeah, I, I read this somewhere. Like you had a few other crazy examples like this. I did not know that. That's mind-boggling. Isn't it beautiful though, right? It's so, I mean, these guys started out, it was a great idea. Like if they came to me with that idea, I would think, yeah, on dating sites, people that you meet don't always look like their pictures or so I would love to have <laughs> some video, like you need a better idea. Well, they totally failed, but instead of, saying, hey, what, we're just going to close up shop and, and start over. They said, hey, wait a minute. We've got some, some pretty badass video streaming technology and we've got systems and culture. Why don't we just pivot into a new business model? It's something else. And if you focus on systems and culture, you'll find that most of your systems and culture will be relevant to another business model that you pivot into. So that's the essential essence of a lifeboat business. And ultimately what you want to do is you want to develop the systems and culture to a point where the business can run without you, right? This is the ultimate thing that everybody wants. I have a handful of businesses that, and I'm not in the day-to-day -day of any of them, only in up coaches where I'm really in day-to-day. -day. The other ones are, you know, I'm using EOS entrepreneur operating system and with a few tweaks to build a really good culture and foundation and SOPs, et cetera, to, to manage myself Beautiful. out of the day-to-day. -day. That's the way to go, man. I mean, you've done what most people fail at doing. You've done it several times. That's fantastic. This is what everybody really aspires to. The problem is, is most people don't have enough education to understand. Yes. I went to 14 different schools. I got kicked out everywhere and I dropped out of school when I was 15. Education there, there's a lot of good content, a lot of smart people out there, a lot of good books, like integration marketing, like you know, one which I'm looking forward to reading. Yeah. Everything's at your. I'm by the way, I'm the same. I hardly ever went to school. My, my parents never forced me to go and I never went. I would go, I would test into the next grade. And then when it was time for high school, I dropped out and then I tested into college and I dropped out and I BS'd my way into a, a independent study bachelor of science and psychology degree while I was in the military, right? I couldn't stand being in, in classrooms either. Where were you, by the way, what country were you in school? In Germany. Germany. Okay. So I don't know what the German educational system is like, but in the United States, it's, it's very propagandized right now. And it's also, you know, it's, it's not anywhere near as effective as it was in the 1800s. If you go back, the, the students that we were training in the 1800s in the United States were getting trained on far more sophisticated topics than they are now. So I think what happens is a lot of people who are very intelligent are going into these educational systems and they're they're not being provided for, or they notice that there's a lot of bullshittery in the education system as well. Yeah. So it's cool that you have a similar background on that. Anything else you want to pitch? I mean, you have, we already have your roadmap to money.com and the book that you wrote, your app, Simpleology, maybe give people a quick idea what Simpleology actually does. So the basic idea is the average Simpleology user, the average user 
Within about 48 hours of using it, we'll notice that they are getting done within about two hours, what normally takes them a full day or even a week. Now, the idea behind that is most of us are not using our time very intelligently. In simpleology, one way of looking at it, I could say it this way for your audience because you have a super intelligent audience, a decision engine that helps you figure out like what's actually important for me to do today. Because most people have these to-do lists that are, that are ridiculous, right? Where you've got, you know, take out the trash and solve world peace on the same list and it never ends. And you're basically using BF Skinnery and operant conditioning to punish yourself for every time you think of being productive, you, you punish yourself, right? Therefore, you, you don't ever want to look at that list again. So simpleology helps you figure out like what's actually important. And then most of us were doing important work for a very short period of time throughout the day. And then the rest of the time we're doing stuff that's not very important or not very impactful. So simpleology is a collection of frameworks all tied together in a single software platform and a training system that gets people up to do the, the single most, what we call high knee thing to improve their productivity in the beginning. High knee is a simpleology neologism for high impact, minimal effort point scoring system. So you, if you have a list of options, you can point score it and figure out like, okay, let me get past this decision fatigue and let me just go, okay, I'm going to score it. And then whatever the highest score is, I'm going to do that. Right. Because it, it gets you past that whole paralysis by analysis problem. I love it. I also have to check it out. I'm a huge productivity geek. I used to always score when I have my to-do list. I make like two columns next to it. Like how much effort is it? Like yeah. from zero to five yeah. and how much impact is it? And then just score, you know, another thing you used to do right next to a task is it a $10 an hour, $100 an hour, $1,000 an hour or $10,000 an hour task. And do my best to always delegate anything that's at the bottom. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Very, very similarly. And I think what happens is, is when people are running a lot of businesses like this as entrepreneurs, they have to start thinking along these types of ways. It's the only way to be as efficient as we need to be with our time. To, to survive. <laughs> That's right. And it's becoming a survival <laughs> skill. The other thing about the complexity gap was something I, when I started Simpleology, I guess about maybe 17 years ago now, I started seeing that problem and I realized that in the future it was going to become worse and worse. And that's, so I sort of created as like a forward thinking startup because I, I knew that the problem wasn't as omnipresent as it is now. And people are getting to a point now where it's like, dude, I'm throwing my hands up. Like, I don't know what to do with myself during the day because I'm so overwhelmed. I have a course called Managing Happiness, where I help people to figure out their personal mission, vision, and core values, similar to how you do this with a business. So you also have like your decision framework or your filtering system to like whatever you do, kind of run it through your mission, vision, and core values. Is it in line with this to lose all the FOMO of the stuff that you could do with the stuff that matters? It was a real pleasure having you on. People can reach you under support at Simpleology, Twitter, you're at Mark Joyner, LinkedIn, official Mark Join, and it was a real pleasure. Yeah, I look forward to it, man. Thank you. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step -step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.